new kingdom, new era, new time in the NBA. A new team for LeBron James. Jalen, you seem pumped up. When you first saw it, it certainly didn't come as a shock, but it still is somewhat jarring when you see it with the first thought that went through your mind. Magic and LeBron in the same place at the same time, that's transcendent. And that has zero to do with basketball. I love the idea of free agency. I love the idea of hearing about athletes being able to control their destiny in terms of their career and also in terms of their finances. And being able to do so outside of the influence of owners and fans. I think about a singular word, a term, unrestricted. And just that idea, I mean, it just, it oozes freedom. And so I think about LeBron James and I think about him as a man, as a family man, as an exceptional basketball player. And yet he makes a free agency decision that is transcendent of basketball. And we see the shockwaves that is created not only in terms of basketball, but really just all over the world. And so I think about the power of free agency, but I don't just think about it in terms of one man, such as LeBron James or someone such as Paul George. I think about free agency in terms of an entire community. And so I must ask the question, what if the biggest free agency decision should be about the political destiny of black people? It's time to make a difference. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. time, time, time. Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I never take for granted uh, those of you all who take the time to listen to this podcast. I know some of you all, you know, will say things to me like, man, we're so glad about, you know, the conversations that you're bringing up. And, you know, I, I'm just, I, I get a lot of feedback about the podcast, man, but I never want you guys to think that I don't appreciate the dialogue. I don't appreciate the support. I don't, I, I mean, I, I appreciate every bit of it, man. I'm really, you know, as I think about the podcast and I think about, you know, where it's gone since, you know, 2015 and, you know, to have been doing this for the amount of time that I've been doing it, man. And just, you know, really, uh, you know, I mean, just growing as an individual and growing as somebody who, you know, researches information and, you know, just looks at the world in a, in a certain way and tries to look at, at the world in a way um, that really focuses, you know, on black people and to, pre to be able to present that in a media format in a time where, you know, when we when we talk about blackness and black people, it's more about entertainment. But, you know, to make our first priority about news and politics and different things like that, man, I'm just I'm just grateful that it's being received in a way that it's being received. And so, you know, we're going to have this conversation today about free agency. And I knew that, you know, once you guys saw it and you guys heard, you know, the piece about LeBron James, I knew it would draw a lot of people in. And I am, in fact, going to have that conversation. You know, I'm going to talk about the ramifications of. LeBron James and free agency, how I do think it is bigger than basketball. And when I say things like, OK, you know, this is a decision that, you know, is bigger than basketball. I'm going to talk about LeBron James as an exceptional father. And of course, I'm going to talk about, you know, Golden State's um, counterpunch, if you will, in free agency as well. But before we do all of that, I got to have this conversation about the political destiny of black people. And, you know, really was the talking point kind of leading into this discussion.
And so as it relates to American politics or politics in America and the United States of America, we've pretty much been left with two inferior options. Those options being Democrat and Republican. And I want to start and let me and let me just say going in to this discussion, I originally you know, when I thought about how I was going to present this, I was going to present it separately. I was going to say my piece about the Republican Party or the T-Publican Party. And I was going to say my piece about Democrats. But the more that I sat down and I thought about it and I really looked at some of the similarities and the differences between the two parties, you know, I thought it would do this conversation more justice if I talked about both and just kind of, you know, Basically, as, as I'm laying this thing out, just kind of show you the involvement of both parties and how we basically got to this point politically and, you know, what the options are for, for African-Americans, for black folks, for descend, descendants of slaves um, and, and what we should do now as so many important opportunities are coming up. Not just midterm elections, but just grassroots opportunities and just ways that we can really dictate and start and demand uh certain conversations in our communities. Nevertheless, um, you know, when we, when we talk about politics uh, and when I, and I'll, I won't say we, I'll say just in mass media, this is such a disservice is done because our political discussions really start with Donald Trump. And that's how I think mass media would want it. And I think that's how Donald Trump would want it. But in this discussion, uh, for the sake of, you know, where we're going to start and ultimately end up, it's going to start with the Tea Party. And it starts, um, well, I'll, I'll just say that the Tea Party and their extreme, extremist um, politics and their extremist ideologies, It this story really begins with their response to the election of the first black president, as, of course, Barack Obama in 2008. And I want to talk about the response to him and because I, this is something that I saw, I saw locally, I saw nationwide, and it was just, it was a very nasty and visceral response. And I saw where people called this man who, for all intents and purposes, is, is biracial. He identifies as black. I think he, we associate him as a black man, but he is, he is biracial. Didn't matter to Tea Partiers. They called him a monkey and you know, when it came to the response to Obamacare, you know, you get all this talk about witch doctor, but a lot of this stuff was, you know, really deeply rooted in racism. And so there was this racial insensitivity. But then at the same time, you got these talks of a post-racial America. And I think this duality is important because it really describes just where Democrats and Republicans coexist and just where they're. You really have two different worlds. You have these varying levels of of illusions. And I won't say illusions so much as I'll say perceptions. And so and, and here you have this duality. I want to say this again. You got the racial insensitivity on one side and then you got this other side where people are saying, well, hey, we're, we're in a post-racial America. Hey, we got the first black president. But I want to continue on because I want to talk about the Tea Party evolution and where you have this party that's priding itself on being anti-establishment and, you know, it's reflected in, in the candidates that they're choosing. Uh, they voted out a number uh, of established uh, Republican GOP candidates, and they also voted 
in candidates voted and when I say voted in candidates um, to weaken Obama as it related to Congress, if you remember the 2014 midterm elections. And that was such a devastating blow to some of the things that uh, President Obama wanted to you know, accomplish as his second term. And of course, final term was coming to an end that last two years. It, you know, on, on the one hand, you know, you had people that were saying, well, you know, we're really going to miss him. But then there's the other part of it where it's like, well, you know, there's not too much you can get done in terms of policy because, you know, you have a Republican Congress. So what you have in 2014 is Republicans uh, have this anti-establishment uh, and poli- and they have this political momentum and Democrats have, you know, Barack Obama who and, and, and let me just say for for his part, Barack Obama, charismatic, beloved president. Good for imagery, but as I as I kind of alluded to before, you know, how does that equate to policy? And, you know, again, this is 2014 and, you know, 2014, 2015. And so we we move forward to 2016, where we get to the Republican and Democratic primaries. And again, we see these ideologies, different ideologies come into play. And this time it's more and I'm going to focus on it at um, at this juncture from the establishment standpoint, Republicans or Republicans really embrace the circus. And I mean, I, I remember, you know, when they were when the Republicans were, you know, when they came together and, you know, they said, well, we got all these candidates. And I think it was a what was it a 16 person pool. And out of that pool, they found whom I'm going to call the ultimate ringmaster, because, I mean, it, it was the circus. And you had an individual who lacked decorum and, you know, really fit into this racist ideology of, of Tea Partiers. And that was Donald Trump. He was anti-establishment. Now, Democrats stayed the course, if you will. They had an anti-establishment candidate in Bernie Sanders. And let me make this point perfectly clear, because when I say anti-establishment, in terms of Donald Trump, that is not to excuse his lack of decorum and that is not to excuse his racist ideology. Because if you all are, are familiar with the podcast and if you're familiar with you know, some of the things that we post on Facebook and, and, and varying things like that, I mean, Donald Trump has conducted himself even when he campaigned in such an unapologetic manner and, and quite frankly, in such an inexcusable manner. But yet. It was this attitude that allowed him to galvanize um, this part, this this political party. And so what we're saying is, you know, as I'm talking about the the genesis and the evolution of Tea Partiers and how they allowed, you know, Donald Trump to basically be the face of their movement. And I'm, I'm even hesitant to say movement because, I mean, it's 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 so vile and racist and nasty. But yet and still, it's it's something it's a it, it there was a, a varying level, varying level of angst and frustration. And that angst and that frustration led to action. And so what we saw between I mean, and really just in the, if you think about it in a 10 year period, when we talk about from 2008 to right now, as I'm doing this podcast, you had a party. That. And I mean, and, and not to say that racism, you know, this <laughs> began in 2008. I mean, certainly this is I mean, it's 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 almost, you know, a, a American in nature. But the fact that these attitudes and this angst was just presented in, in such a 
forceful and vile way. But then it allowed, you know, when you added the affluence to it, when you when you when we had the when we were faced with the realization that you have people who are well off who are thinking like this. And so they had the money to, you know, back political candidates. They had the money to, you know, build um, a political base. It's just a a, a very scary and dangerous combination. But going back to uh, Bernie Sanders, who was an anti-establishment candidate in a different way. And then, but of course, with the Democrats, the establishment candidate won out. Now, Clinton's candidacy is very telling as it relates to Democrats and as it relates to black people. And why I say that is because Hillary Clinton's candidacy as it relates to Democrats. I always go back to, you know, the uh, the the influence or the factoring of super delegates when it came to the primaries. And the thing about the super delegates that. I still don't think people really understood was that when you talked about, well, you know, when it came to the the delegates, the gap between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders was not that dramatic. Now, when you added the super delegates, it became, you know, a a, a formidable uh, a chasm, if you will. But it's important to note that when you talk about super delegates, you're basically talking about establishment Democrats whom had influence and had you know voting power had and you know all of these folks were firmly behind hillary clinton now when i say as it relates to black people you know you had uh people who i think reluctantly trusted uh the clintons and trusted hillary clinton despite you know their political history and that's a history when you talk about the omnibus crime bill you know i've um just more recently had a chance to really look at what the telecommunications bill did to really, you know, tear down black media. And so, and you all know how very passionate I am in terms of, you know, black media. When I say black media, I mean outlets that tell the news from our perspective. You don't really get that even in predominantly black areas. It's, you know, you may have an you know, Augusta, Richmond County, I think is just a perfect example. Augusta, Richmond County is about 55 to 60 percent African-American population with a significant number of black elected officials with, you know, when you look at city government, you have a black mayor, you have a black commission, you have a black city administrator. But yet when the stories are told from a political perspective, those stories are told predominantly by white people. Why is that important? Because of the inherent bias. I can tell you this from firsthand experience because I have worked in these newsrooms um, on two separate and, and two separate uh, at two separate institutions or two separate newspapers. And so I've heard stories and I've heard white people talk in a way that lets me know that they really don't understand the black community. And when I say they don't understand the black community, you know, when you talk about you know, when we, when we look at crime and, and why crime happens in this relationship to poverty, it's not that black people are lesser or that we're more or that we're, you know, inclined to crime. It's just that there are certain conditions in the community. And when these things happen, they yield crime. And, and as I as I'm, you know, I mentioned poverty and different things like that, but. When you look at newsrooms and I mean, this is all over the country 
and they are overwhelmingly white. And so you have white people who are telling these stories. Then you have this bias that is expressed in media. And so that's why you get this terminology or not, not why, how you get this terminology, you know, like black on black crime and the news is unfiltered in terms of the presence of black folks and the presence of an understanding of how systemic racism works. And that inherent bias, you know, plays uh, plays out in, you know, news coverage and focus on news and, you know, different things like that. I want to continue uh, just in because I'm trying to get back to <laughs> where we were talking about um, the Democratic candidates and just I can't help but go back to that period. I just think about certain talking points and this. It's kind of it's it aggravates me because I distinctly remember people talking about Bernie Sanders age and it underscores the fact that we really don't do an idol of research when it comes to candidates. Cause I, I, I mean, I had this conversation with a family member and they were like, I was like, well, you know, how do you feel about Bernie Sanders? And they were saying, you know, well, he's too old. And Bernie Sanders as I'm doing this podcast is 76 years of age. He's a pretty old guy. Donald Trump is 72 years old. Hillary Clinton uh, and again, these are the ages as I'm doing this podcast. Bernie Sanders, 76. Donald Trump, 72. Hillary Clinton, 70. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I can only imagine the average age of Congress. Wait, I mean, look, it's the 21st century, y'all. Simple Google search. And here we go. The average age of Congress is 57 years of age. So. I'm saying all of that to say, you know, when we, you know, we discredit candidates for just the most inane and asinine reasons without, you know, understanding the reality of, hey, uh, you know, our politicians, our elected officials are, you know, when you look at a national level, when you look at Congress and you look when you look at presidents and the presidential candidates at that time, everybody was really old. And so what we were left with was on the Democratic side, you had Hillary Clinton. And then on the, you know, uh, GOP or Republican side, you had Trump. And actually, I'm just going to say for the sake of argument, TP, Tea Party. And. And, you know, it was it basically came came down to this is that, you know, the election decided where the TP, you know, when you say Tea Party to TP, like whether that meant Tea Party or toilet paper. And so people voted, you know, those votes went down racial lines. Um, the popular vote ultimately didn't matter. Because in a stroke of irony, the establishment in the form of the Electoral College tapped Donald Trump as president. And I mean, I remember how I felt. I I felt disappointed. But I also felt like this was what was going to happen because. You had two of the most uh, well, actually the two most undesirable political candidates in history and so when you had when you made people choose between the lesser of two evils you got a record uh record amount of apathy and so that was reflected in the vote and you know it basically it it came down to i mean i i i I still struggle with the i'm not gonna say the reality of it but just the fact that we allowed it to, to get to that. And I mean, that's that's the million dollar question is that how did it happen? Now, some will answer, 
you know, as it relates to Hillary Clinton, people say, you know, butter emails. And, I, you know, I'm going to get myself together and I'm going to answer more succinctly. There was a collective lack of political awareness in a polarized environment that basically turned the presidency into a coin flip. And for black folks, it was heads you lose, tails you lose. Now, I mean, I could talk about the Trump presidency and but the thing is, is that we're living it, you know, and the other I mean, we're, we're living it for one thing. And then like the other thing is, it's like there's no real genius to it. I mean, it's not. It's it's insidious, but it's not something that I the, the word that comes to mind when I think about the Trump presidency is not brilliant. I mean, what it is, is basically a perpetual campaign of anti Obama policy and like we're worse off for it. I mean, look at the first day in office. You got the home buyer's credit. Trump's like, bye, out of here. Even, I mean, two days ago, you got, you know, stories about where the Trump administration, uh, they're reversing Obama era policies on affirmative action in schools. So, I mean, it was from day one, you know, Trump came in office and said, "Okay, we're going to basically undo everything that that uh, the Obama administration did. And that's where we are. We went from the election of the and I put this in quotation marks, the first black president and the flat out hatred that surrounded that and that hatred, you know, gained life in the form of a political party. That political party got ahead in the form of Donald Trump. And now like. It's like hell is broken loose. So. Like, where do we go from here in terms of black politics? Because that is what this discussion is about. And what we got to do first is we really got to define black politics. And for me, it's very simple. It's a politics that addresses the needs of black people first. First, it's not selfish for me to say that because every other significant voting block has its needs profoundly addressed. Or they make their voices heard through voting and protests. White people like there's a, a, a unite another unite the right rally. They're talking about white civil rights, like just foolery, um, LGBT, Hispanic, so on, so forth. We don't get what we want as black people or what we need as black people. And I think some of this goes back to just like our, our subscription to the Dem- or our where we're marrying ourselves to the Democratic Party. And what Democrats have done is they've traded democracy for diplomacy. And Republicans now don't get it twisted. Now, they've given up on democracy as well, but they traded democracy for domination. They're playing to win. And when it comes to politics, playing for keeps is more important than playing nice. You know, like Michelle Obama and look, great first lady, beautiful lady, blah, blah, so on, so forth. Like, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, shape or form. Like, I really don't. But I'm just like, I, I think about there's this quote that everybody likes to use. And it's like, you know, the quote where she said, you know, when when um when they go low, we go high. And it's like, bro, that's cool in theory and ideology. But like when it comes to politics, like, you know, I mean, it's like it's like football out here. And so when somebody goes low, like you got to go lower. And it's not so much that. It's an issue of integrity. It's an issue of constituency. It's an issue of protecting the people whom you've been elected to serve and who you've been elected to protect. And then also understanding that your your political opposition 
is, uh, you know, are and they're a group of people who like have shown you for decades, for centuries. Like in their current incarnation, like they do not care about black people, period. So, again, what do we do about it? Making a difference like it isn't a problems oriented podcast. It's a solutions oriented podcast. Like how do we exercise our right to be political free agents? It's an extensive discussion. We're going to continue it after the break. But before we go to that break, let me uh, first identify the difference between. Well, let me say the profound difference between Republicans and Democrats as it relates to black people. This current installment of Republicans or T-Publicans, as I mentioned before, have proven over time that they don't care about black people. They've proven this through policy and practice. It's unfortunate, you know, for a number of reasons, but. As it relates to to the idea of being uh, being conservative or that the use of that word conservative, like black people aren't liberal about religion. Like we're not liberal about, you know, when you talk about same sex marriage, when you talk about abortion, when you think about, you know, the civil rights movement, how it came up in the church, like black people statistically are still, you know, very much, you know, we see same sex, same sex marriages as. As taboo, those are things that we're slowly coming to grips with. But yet you have a party that identifies itself as conservative that doesn't even care to like tap into like that, that angst or to that, that perspective. And so where Republicans like barely want to speak to you, Dems will at least speak for you. And I want you to see the difference there where Republicans barely want to speak to you dems will speak democrats will speak for you now what about those times where you as a or black person or a black uh, entity will want to speak for yourself hmm. and that's where we have a problem you know you see like movements like black lives matter and you see where you know democrats distance themselves from that movement immediately even though it dealt with the elephant <laughs> the elephant in the room, which is the mistreatment of black folks. Issues like police brutality, like Dems are no, and seriously, no pun intended, they're like far to the left, man, or nowhere to be found. I look at this recent, you know, situation with uh, Maxine Waters. And now let let me get something right. Like her beef with President Trump is short-sighted. And I mean, I'm, I'm saying that to say like this back and forth thing, like it, I mean, it's it's really not helping anything. It's more like political theater than anything else. But let me say also the Democrats are disassociating themselves from her for the wrong reasons. And part of it is because she's an opinionated black woman and she's not afraid to stand up for herself. Enough about all this party politics, though. When we come back, we're going to talk about the people. <laughs> Sometimes we just need a little common sense in our lives, y'all. You're listening to Making a Difference. This is Street Radio for Unsung Hero Riding in the Rego, trying to stay legal My daughter found Nemo, I found a new primo Yeah, you know how we do, we do it for the people And the struggle of the brothers and the folks The lovers of the dope Experiments to discover hope, scuffle for notes The rougher I wrote, times was harder Went from rock starter to the voice of a martyr Why white folk focus on dogs and yoga My people on the low and trying to ball and get over Lyrics are like liquor for the fallen soldier From the bounce to the house it's all our culture. 
day we hustling, trying to get them customers. Law, we ain't trusting them. Thick bras, we busting them. Sick and tired of punching it. I look on the bus at them. When I see them struggling, I think I'm touching them. The Unsung hero, riding in the Rigo, trying to stay legal. My daughter found Nemo, I found the new Primo. Yeah, you know how we do, we do it for the people. The people said that I was sharp on TV at the Grammys. Though they tried to India, I read me. Got backstage and I bumped into Stevie. He said, no matter what, the people gon' see me. Can't leave rap alone, the streets need me. Hunger in their eyes is what seemed to feed me. Inside peace mixed with beef seemed to breed me. Nobody believed till I believed me. Doing business with my guys, visions realized, music affected lies, a gift from the skies to be recognized. I'm keeping my eyes on the people, that's the prize. For unsung hero, riding in the Rigo, trying to stay legal. My daughter found Nemo, I found the new Primo. Yeah, you know how we do, we do it for the people. From Inglewood to a single hood in Botswana. I see the iron we my yours is my drama. Standing in front of the judge with no honor. My raps ignite the people like Obama. The karma of the streets is needs and takes. Sometimes we find peace in beats and breaks. With the bang in the back so the seats can shake. Rebel Cadillac music for the people's sake. Listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Hey, y'all give it up for Wifey, man. We're back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. We're talking about free agency, and we're at the part of the podcast where we focus on solutions. Now, before we, we really jump into that, I want to, you know, focus on some of the, the main issues that are facing African Americans that are facing black people in this country. And I think, I don't think I know, it starts with wealth disparities it starts with you know the wealth gap and out of that conversation you know you and when you look at you know median wealth of whites versus the median wealth of blacks and the median wealth of you know hispanics and and you know on down the line and what you see is is that there's a a very bleak economic picture for african-americans you know, when you look past Oprah, when you look past Jay-Z, when you look past Diddy, when you look past past these individuals and you look at the percentages of poverty, when you look at, you know, the uh, dwindling middle class, what you see is, is that there is it's very precarious for black people. And so once you start having those type of conversations, what you realize 
is there is a need for reparations. Now, for some reason, people are, are scared of this terminology, but it's, it's very simple. I mean, there may be some of you all listen to the podcast that, you know, maybe have some credit card debt or maybe not even credit card debt. Maybe, you know, you pay for something and or maybe you, you know, got a service and you didn't have to pay for it at that particular time. So what you may have received was an invoice. And so I feel the same way about the work that was done by our ancestors, the work that was done to build this country, to make it into the economic power that it is today. And so I'm all about dropping off that invoice and I'm all about saying, hey, pay what you owe. Now, so just to review, when we talk about you know, concerns that I, that I believe need to be brought up, economic disparities, the wealth gap, having that lead into a conversation, a, a conversation about reparations. And then I think you also have to look at police brutality. And again, this is a situation where a lack of understanding about your economic contributions in society you know, yields this, you know, lack of accountability and you just have people running around all over the place and not really understanding, you know, what power they have and what they should, you know, what they are entitled to or what they should be entitled to. One of the, I mean, the most disgusting thing about police brutality is, is the loss of black lives. And then still there is an insidiousness to it because as taxpaying citizens, the overwhelming majority of your tax dollars goes to education and then to law enforcement. So to think that there's a significant portion of your tax dollars going toward efforts or going toward systemic injustices, I mean, is, is more is more insult to injury. So you got the wealth gap, you got reparations, you got police brutality. Where do we find candidates to promote these ideals? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to look within yourself and not necessarily to say that you have to run for political office, but challenge yourself to become more politically involved. That's not to say you need to watch the news more, even though watching the news does help. But it's to actually involve yourself in city meetings to you know, find out when these things are going on. Do you know who your you know, who, who's the mayor? Who's your you know, who's your um, elected representative? Do you know these people? And if you don't know these people, find out who find out who they are, have a conversation with these people. And I'm saying that because to me, when you place your political destiny in the hands of establishment politicians, what you may get, what you will get is or what you do get is you either your, your concerns are not heard or they're watered down. And I got to present this. <laughs> The, the craziest thing I saw in Charleston uh, recently, uh, there was an an, a sl- uh, an apology issue for slavery. And, you know, there were a lot of people excited about it. The first thing I asked was, what's an apology without reparations? And so I actually got a response from a former politician, someone who had served the people in elected office and his response to Look, I'm I'm look, I'm telling at any rate. Um, <laughs> so the the response to my question, what's the 
um, what's an apology without reparations? And the response was a start. And so my response was, well, a promissory note would be more of a start than an apology. See, I'm the type of person that I don't think it's petty to ask for your money back. Or I don't think it's petty to ask for money for services rendered. And so when you talk about apologies and different things like that, I think that's where you kind of get lost in the sauce. That's where you get lost in, you know, imagery and, you know, you're really just you're playing around with people. There's no authenticity when it comes to paying what you owe. It's all about putting up a front. And that's that's not acceptable to me. And it shouldn't be acceptable, you know, when it comes to black politics. And this further, you know, outlines the importance of putting pressure on local public officials. And really, I I think this is, you know, the disservice that mass media provides by making politics, you know, this whole, you know, all Trump all the time, 24 hours. Like as an individual, I mean, you can be much more effective in a political fashion by understanding your local political structure and also having a somewhat of a familiarity with your local news. And I'll give you a first person experience. Almost a year ago, I went to. Well, let me just uh, provide a perspective. I was actually on Facebook and I saw a post from a gentleman who had mentioned that there was a a monument or an obelisk that was in the heart of downtown North Augusta. And it had some, so uh, basically had a message of white supremacy on it. Now I'm not talking about something that was carved. Well, that something that, you know, was like a, um, and like graffiti or something like that. I mean, actual, like it was, you know, built with the intent of expressing, you know, uh, a message of white supremacy and, Sure enough, I went down there to go see it for myself. And there it was. It's actually uh, the it's the Meriwether Monument in North Augusta. And it's, it's actually this obelisk. It's downtown. You can see it clear as day. And it actually um, is a message. Well, there's a message on it that, you know, honors this man who, you know, died basically. And, you know, it highlights that he fought for the, you know, ideals of, of white supremacy in it pretty much you know says that i mean i'm I'm paraphrasing but it 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 says essentially that so i went and i spoke to north augusta city council you know about you know letting them know that hey you know there's this monument down here this is what it says you know to me if it if it remains down there it's you know it's an indictment of the city it's an indictment of the city council and so i said that and i said my piece and now I'm saying that to say, like, you know, I was just one person. Now, imagine 10 people or, you know, imagine 100 people. City council rooms and I can I've been in a bunch of them, <laughs> um, you know, just as a journalist and as a concerned citizen. You can make an impact in those rooms with a relatively small amount of people. And the news is always looking for a story. Call ahead. Let them know that, you know, that there's going to be a crowd and there's going to be a serious issue. And really, it's just that simple to present a concern in a public forum. Now, does it end there? I mean, well, I mean, that really depends on the individual. It was it was Frederick Douglass. And it's so funny that 
Oh, I won't say funny. It's ironic that that name comes up because, you know, the 4th of July just passed. And, you know, if you haven't, you know, read Frederick Douglass's uh, speech about the 4th of July, I would encourage you to do that as soon as you're done listening to this podcast. But another great quote from Frederick Douglass is power concedes nothing without a struggle. Excuse me. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did. And it never will. I'm tired of hearing about the lesser of two evils. I'm tired of hearing about voter apathy and political apathy. I'm tired of hearing about what we can't do and how long it's going to take for us to, you know, build a coalition. What I'm saying in the present is two political parties, both of whom are not servicing the black community in a way that's going to create uplift that's going to be truly progressive i'm saying you know establishment democrats hold firm even as the an anti-establishment republicans and even establishment republicans basically carry out the whims of white supremacy and we cannot have politics as usual and if we do have politics as usual then it's going to be up to us to take ourselves out of the process and to do the necessary legwork to demand that our voices be heard starting on the local level. And then as we're, you know, saying midterms or quickly approaching to take local coalitions and go from local to state to federal to create the type of changes and demand the type of changes that are needed in the black community. The term is free agency. So I want you guys to check out this record. Uh, by Big Crit. It's called Free Agent. Uh, it's kind of an underground joint. I do want to say that uh, this uh, record is parental advisory. So if you're listening to this podcast with your kids, I'm going to ask that you fast forward to 45 minutes and 20 seconds. You see, MAD cares about the kids. We're going to close out this podcast talking about LeBron James and uh, Golden State uh, after the break. You're listening to Making a Difference. Def Jam didn't really support. Uh, yeah, I was shocked they put your album out. I'm not gonna lie to you. For real, you were shocked. I mean, I knew that you had a, a underground following because, because of your mixtapes and stuff. Yeah. But I was shocked they actually. Well, how many put more mixtapes you want him to put out before I they mean, put it exactly. out? Exactly. I mean, I know they was that on was you like. like he did a lot of three. touring. Yeah. I know people in the Def Jam building who was like, man. I said, when Creed album coming out? They said, never. Yeah. <laughs> 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 for real. I built it from the ground up. Act like they find us. From the sign of the label trying to drown us. I built a boat and a moat for my castle. I graduated to a business, man. I got tassels. Another chapter, another story, another plot. Motherfuck the ball in their coat. I took a shot. Three presidents in five years. I never stopped. Where they were about them single sales, them albums flop. Oh, Lord, 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 there they go. Trying to fuck me out another budget. I ain't a hoe. I produce and write my own shit. I know the scope. I'ma drop another mixtape. Ain't gon' talk. We ain't playing game, man. I'm too wrong. For you to try to take me out my motherfucking zone. For you to try to tell me I ain't motherfucking known. I guess I gotta do it how I done it on my own. Huh. I been a free agent, nigga. I been a free agent, nigga. Even when I was signed, it was multi till I die. Proving motherfuckers wrong every goddamn time. Uh. I've been a free agent, nigga. I've been a free agent, nigga. 
shit. Table with the majors, they go all out with you till you're underground with it. They won't crawl out with you, so they serve. Serve you a plate full of scraps in the bait. You ain't eating, so you ate. You ain't moving, so you shake what you can, cause you gotta drop another album, but ain't make a motherfucking dollar. Oh, man, it's hard to understand how they rob a nigga, then go shake his other hand. How I hit the road and I ain't never have a chance. How I sell our shows and I ain't even make a dance. How I ain't a gimmick, but I got all these fans. How I made it merch, what you got in your advance. How I worked the tapes like I was bagging up the grams. How I country boy took that country shit and ran. Uh, I've been a free agent, nigga. I've been a free agent, nigga. Even when I was signed, it was multi till I died. Proving motherfuckers wrong every goddamn time. I've been a free agent, nigga. I've been a free agent, nigga. Now nah, they can't hold us. Put my whole team on my shoulders. Now it's money on the way, cause the contract over. Uh. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Going to close out uh, this episode talking about LeBron, Golden State, free agency, all that good stuff. Uh, first of all, let me just say about LeBron James, and <laughs> I kind of want to laugh because it's like LeBron fans were so happy for like like 20 hours, and then like Golden State just did basically what they've done like throughout the last four years, just like snatched the happiness away. Like LeBron to L.A. was so crazy, man. It was a great move from a basketball perspective. You know, in my opinion, it wasn't something that would affect his legacy because if you're a student of the game or if you're like a fan of the NBA, if you're a historian of the NBA, you realize like how many great free agents came to L.A. And it, you know, in no way, shape or form like affected their legacy. You know, when you talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when you talk about Will Chamberlain, when you talk about Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, just, you know, just to name a few. And so, you know, you add LeBron to that mix. And, I mean, it's like you can only imagine, like, if this dude, like, wins a title in L.A. I mean, you look at, you know, L.A. as a major metro and different things like that. I mean, it's just it's a great opportunity. But with all of the basketball ramifications of what he did, like the most gratifying thing to see other than the fact that you know, LeBron making yet another decision. I'm not saying that to be like, oh, here he goes again. I'm saying that because I love what in many ways, like LeBron, you know, really started this this movement in terms of like NBA players really having like control of their own destiny in terms of what team they want to go to. And if you understand the history of free agency just in sports, you'll understand you like you realize like this is something that so many fought for and sacrificed for when you when you look at names like Kurt Flood and you know folks like that. So, you know, there's a lot of angst from fans, you know, when guys make these type of decisions. But for me, I love it. I love the I, I just everything about it, man, it as I said at the beginning of the podcast, man, it really just, it, it oozes freedom. It really, you know, it just, it exudes freedom. And so to see LeBron make a decision, not only for himself, not only for the basketball side of it, not only for his brand, but for his son, you know, his son's, um, 
you know, going to play uh, prep ball out in L.A. And so for, you know, Braun to, you know, be around this kid. And this is something I can relate to, man, just like and just shout out my dad, man, because like my dad grew up like for most of his childhood without his dad. And just like, you know, my dad was like nothing but an exceptional father to myself and my two brothers, man. And even now, like I've been a dad six months, man. And like my dad's still here and it's, it's such a blessing, man. But like I really I, I not being corny, man, just keeping it a buck, man. Like I appreciate, you know, LeBron, who as near as I can tell was raised, you know, single parent, you know, Gloria James. His dad wasn't really in his life, but, you know, he's making decisions that you know in a way where he's able to be a father first and to be you know the best dad that he can be and he's i mean he like he didn't he didn't have that growing up you know what i mean so he's you know he's kind of doing this on the fly and i mean just he's just an exceptional dude man so i um i definitely salute lebron in that regard um in terms of free agency if you haven't i mean of course you guys have heard if you haven't heard you <laughs> pretty much been under a rock but you know Look, LeBron went to L.A. and then Golden State was like, well, uh, so we got this Trump card over here or let DeMarcus Cousins tell it, you know, that was his chess move was him going to uh, Golden State, you know, signed for one year, five point three million, um, you know, mid-level exception. So Golden State has a potential or presumed starting five, you know, maybe sometime, you know, after the all-star break of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and DeMarcus Cousins. Now, DeMarcus Cousins, before he got hurt last year, we're talking about a cat average, like 25 points, I think like 12, 13 rebounds, and like four or five assists. So just JaVale McGee went to the Lakers, and then I guess, you know, Golden State was like, well, we need the big man. Who's out here? <laughs> and they got DeMarcus Cousins, man. It's just it's so crazy, man. But – I want to close out the podcast by like sharing this dope Twitter uh, commentary from I think his name is Howard Bryant. I know he used to work for ESPN or maybe still writes columns for ESPN, but he's um his name on Twitter is, is full dissident. Uh, he's at H Bryant H B R Y A N T forty two. He said I would deregulate my entire country because I'm a free American. That's my right. But I want my sports financially capped, employee movement limited, competition controls enacted. So it's like, you know, you want we talk about free trade and free business like you want, you know, basically like. Rich people to be able to do whatever they want with their money. Unless it's like, you know, like brothers who are rich, like you you still you want those guys to, you know, soft shoe and entertain like there's no there's no freedom like i think that's the that's the most frustrating thing i think when it comes to the nfl guys because i get why they're they're taking a stance they're taking why they're not pressing the issue more you know with uh taking a knee it's because they literally can't afford to but if you can't take a stand for something as simple as a knee like what do you think you're going to be able to do you know when it comes time for a collective bargaining and so that's the importance of free agency that's the importance of when you have an opportunity to make a decision to better impact your career not even if you're in athletics or if you're a professional athlete i'm talking about us day to day man like how many of us 
like because we don't have that free agency like we pretty much gotta you know take whatever our job throws at us man because hey if we don't have this job then our kids don't eat that's why i never hate on an athlete man for what they do in free agency man because bottom line they may you know they're living more lavish than us but let's not act like they're entitled or they didn't work extremely hard to get where they are you know what i mean and if anything it should be motivation for us to become the very best at what it is that we do and that's definitely like my pursuit as it relates to this podcast man because i i would love to be able to just use this podcast i mean i'm I'm doing that now in terms of just you know helping the community but what i love to be able to share share my thoughts and views and share information with a larger audience to be able to you know to have it be something where you know i don't necessarily have to work a nine to five or have to work in a way that keeps me away from my wife my kids my family from doing something that i really love like free agency man it's just just that terminology man that whole idea just being unrestricted man that i mean that really just speaks to like to true freedom man to to true power man to true opportunity and so with that man i'm gonna close out this podcast gonna encourage you to follow uh making a difference uh the making a difference podcast you can go to soundcloud.com backslash making a difference follow it there download the soundcloud app you can follow making a difference from there as well we're on facebook facebook.com backslash making m-a-k-i-n a difference show i guess i should have said soundcloud.com backslash m-a-k-i-n making a difference i'm also on twitter uh, my twitter handle is difference d-i-f-f-e-r-e-n-c-e making m-a-k-i-n if you're not following those i ask that you will follow those man with that uh, we're going to shut things down appreciate you guys listening as always man continue to share the message i uh, continue to tell people about making a difference um if you're seeing this on facebook if you're i mean wherever you're seeing it man look copy the link drop it in a, in a group text man let people know like hey it's some cats out here like speaking like speaking on some real issues man not speaking on entertainment but doing it in a way where it's not only entertaining people but it's empowering people and that's really what making a difference is all about i'm can't make and love you guys so much peace and god bless you win perfect